Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living for a fast-paced world, in a fast-paced world, both. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode three of our season five extravaganza. Oh, yeah, it's an extravaganza now. Yeah, it is. Okay. It is. And uh, this episode, it's sort of like a natural progression, I guess, from the last episode it on is. stuff. And it's about waste reduction. Yes, it is. We sort of touched on that a little bit at the end of last week's conversation. But I think that, I mean, based on the, the requests from listeners about what they want to know more of, these were two really quite separate sort of topics. And I think that they just kind of come together. Mm. Well, as and you they, said. And they follow one another pretty well as well. They do. Stuff and then into the actual waste reduction of that stuff. I agree. Why don't we stop the intro <laughs> and start the conversation? That's great. I like that. So one of the big questions you've been asked about this topic is, where do you think the shift from simple living and decluttering starts to then reduce waste and thinking and being a bit more sustainable where do you think that's sort of where's the linkage there yeah i mean i think it's different for everyone Mm. but for me i definitely started this whole process of changing the way we live with a self-centric effort to simplify our life because it was out of control Mm -hmm. and that's where my blog started that's kind of the roots of the changes I've made. And for you, that that was what, one or two years? You sort of centred on that yourself? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like probably more. More. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, looking back, I was, life felt completely out of control. I felt out of control. I was very unhappy. You know, all of the problems that I could see were mine. Mm-hmm. And what I found over time was, and I think it's a very natural progression, as you begin to seek clarity in yourself and in your purpose and in your values Mm. Uh, and you do that by simplifying by removing some of the excess by removing some of the distractions you do develop that clarity and often what happens once you have that clarity in yourself is that you begin to see the world either by world I mean perhaps it's just your community or your family or you know something slightly larger you start to see those those concentric circles of of people and humanity through that same clarity Mm -hmm. you know the same lens of clarity and once you start to see that it's quite difficult to unsee it Mm -hmm. even if it is difficult even if it is challenging even if you don't actually know how you're going to change what you do so that it starts to improve not just only your life but the the flow and effects elsewhere too and I think that's where a lot of people get stuck Mm -hmm. it gets really overwhelming and I know I certainly did for a long time I, I knew that living more sustainably living lighter on the earth was probably the next big stage of the way that I wanted to change our lives. But I didn't know how to do that. Mm. I would hear about zero waste living and I would hear about all of these other really important sounding things. I had no idea how to begin. So I, I think for me, actually, it started with conversations yeah, that I had on the podcast. Inter- you just interviewed experts. Like I just started following where, following my nose, you know, following my yeah. intuition. Yeah. And I had interviews with people like Erin Rhodes from The Rogue Ginger and Tim Silverwood from Take Three for the Sea and uh, Mel Tuali from Fashion Revolution and all of these incredible conversations with these incredibly passionate, knowledgeable people. And they all started saying the same thing. It doesn't need to happen overnight and Mm. you don't need to aim for perfect. You just need to start making incremental shifts. And I, I took that 
advice on board and I took it to heart and really started to look at what's a tiny shift I can make right now that feels so insignificant almost to not be worthwhile doing Mm -hmm. and start there. Yeah. Uh, I did things like making our own cleaning products, you know, and reducing the amount of products we were buying from the supermarket to clean our house. That was probably one of the first shifts I made. Absolutely. And I noticed it with the amount of bicarb soda we began to (laughs) Yeah. I probably was a bit heavy-handed with the bicarb to start with. But then it was things like, you know, I I bought a pack of reusable produce bags mm-hmm. and took them to the to the supermarket instead of using the plastic ones. And you do it once and it like it's so easy, why would you not continue to do it? And then it was glass of, containers to butchers. To the butcher. And I remember when we lived in the mountains, we were the first people to ever go into the butcher and say, "Can I Use, Use these. And mm. at first he was very bemused by it all and put the plastic bag inside the container. <laughs> but over time we had a conversation about it and he got it, you know. So I think it was relinquishing the need for it to be a huge overnight shift and just start where I could. The evolution of the podcast is the answer to this question almost. Yeah, honestly, isn't it? Like it you is. just track the first, I don't know, 100 episodes and the overall theme was like self-improvement. Yeah, minimalism, minimalism was where it kind of simple all began. living. Yeah, totally. And then it came into mindfulness and it started broadening to family. And then, yep. it, do you know, like it's sort of like this progression that's just happened. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. kind of weird. We've sort of documented the journey we've well, been yeah. on without, that was never the intention. Yeah. This was always kind of, I don't know, I don't think I had a big picture idea for it. But I will say minimalism, and I know I kind of sounded like I rubbished minimalism last week a bit. And I certainly didn't mean to, uh, because what minimalism did teach me was to question everything in our home, you know, everything we kept, Mm. everything that that would take up space or time or energy or money to question it all as to whether it was necessary. And then also to question in the same way, everything that we allowed into our home. And that has helped me enormously with making decisions about sustainable choices and waste reduction. And it sort of got me into the headspace and the mindset of being slightly inconvenienced and that not being a bad thing. Mm. So minimalism certainly paved the way, I think, for me, like learning how to let go and live with less and be happy with less has really helped. That's like the timeline really on a macro level. But can you pinpoint the, the start of that specific waste reduction movement, if you like? Like wh- how did you actually start the waste reduction yeah. side of it? I think beyond making our own cleaning products, which was definitely the first yeah. step, yeah. I started where I could because we didn't have a bulk food shop within an hour and a half drive of where we were living. Uh, and so that was sort of not on the cards for me. So I looked at starting where I could. And as I said, it was things like, you know, bring your own bags and containers. That was a really good start. And Plastic Free July helped us with that. I think that gave me the kick in the pants mm. to actually get slightly uncomfortable and, and have that conversation with the butcher yeah, and definitely. the baker and all of that. Yeah. Um, but I also started with food waste. And mm. I think that's a good place to begin because everyone has probably got some improvements they can make in the kitchen. Uh, I think there's a statistic around that says if food waste, global food waste was a country, yeah, its carbon emissions would be like the third largest no. in the world. Something crazy like that. I may have the, the ranking slightly wrong, but it's enormous. So if we want to make a change to the impact that we're having environmentally, food waste is a really good place to begin. And so for me, that was 
things like freezing excess veggies and, mm-hmm. um, you know, making stock out of all the veggie scraps. I'd keep a big container in the freezer once it was full, chuck all of the veggie scraps in a saucepan and I've got stock for a couple of weeks. Or embracing leftovers. You know, we've always been pretty decent at eating leftovers, but making it a priority to finish leftovers before we cook another meal or uh, having like Thursday night leftover night mm-hmm. is great. Uh, meal planning and meal preparation as well have been huge in just reducing the amount of stuff we buy, which means that it's reducing the amount that we waste. Yep. Because if we didn't have a meal plan, we would inadvertently and consistently buy way too much food. And in two weeks, I'm throwing out a soggy, slimy head of like um, celery. And that sort of incidental food loss and food waste has really disappeared, yeah. I think, with with that. Yeah. Um, composting is another thing mm. that we have been doing for quite a few years mm-hmm. now. Which was a lot easier when we had chickens. Which we Well, don't... that's not composting though. Mm. But yes, I know what you mean. So at the moment, we don't have a system for getting rid of like starchy, carby scraps. So I know Tammy Logan last year mentioned a composting system that can deal with that kind of stuff. Mm. And that's something that we're going to put into our garden as soon as we can find a place that's away from the dogs and we can dig deep yeah, enough. Yeah. Uh, but I'll I include... I don't know. I'm not convinced that the climate here can cop that. Maybe. We'll do some more research. Do more but she more lives research. in Gippsland. She's not anywhere oh, no. warm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think I probably also around the same time started to research what other options there were for things that like refillable uh, makeup containers or, uh, you know, DIY options for deodorant and dry shampoo and all those kind of really simple things that I discovered through conversations on the podcast mostly that I could make myself really easily. So Rebecca Sullivan from Granny Skills, her two episodes were, were really good in spurring those sorts of shifts for me as well. Um, and I still use her homemade blush recipe DIY kind of shifts probably added up to a pretty significant reduction in in packaging as well. Mm. Now, if you could just, you know, have a bit of a self-assessment, do you think you do enough to reduce waste? No, I Mm. don't. I don't think that anyone feels like they're they're doing enough. And I think Mm. I mentioned last week, I've got all these thoughts at the moment about this idea of enoughness and how it's actually quite uh, detrimental, yeah. carrying around the question of, am I doing enough? Almost goes into that perfection. It totally question, does. Doesn't yeah. It? And I, I, at no point anywhere else in the world would you find the question of, am I good enough to be seen as a positive thing? So I don't know why we continue to carry it around as like this measuring stick when it comes to these sorts of changes. So no, I, I don't think that I'm doing enough, but I don't think that I would ever get to a point where I did think I was doing enough. Mm. Part of the process is learning to be okay with imperfect improvement. That's just yeah. the reality of it. Yeah. You know, I don't. It, it would be virtually impossible to live on this earth without making a negative impact. Uncomfortable, but true. It just is. There is a, a whole other conversation that we're not going to have today that is about encouraging and pushing for change in the systems that we are beholden to. Um, but I think as, as individuals, we will always feel like there's, there's more that we can do. And that's okay mm. because I think if you allow yourself to acknowledge that you will always be imperfect, you can also allow that frustration to gradually drive change Motivate. in your, yeah, mm. exactly, in mm. your patterns and your behaviours. Mm. 
Uh, and I, I think the other point about this idea of enoughness, sustainability can mean two things. Like there's the environmental sense of sustainability, but there's also the personal sense of sustainability. I think that if I tried to overnight do a full 180 on how I was living and mm. change everything and commit to being zero waste and to commit to being like carbon positive overnight, that's not sustainable no. to the vast majority of us because we have limited time, we have limited energy, we have limited finances, all of us. So, you know, to expect perfection is not sustainable in terms of like a, a heart sense either. So just thinking about, so the last six months, how is your like reduction in, in waste dialed up? Because I've certainly noticed it. We definitely have different options since we've moved here. And, you know, things like, like living in the country and living in an area where there are quite a lot of organic farms and places that will sell veggie boxes, that sort of thing. We've got a weekly veggie box from our local farm. Shout out to Moon Acres. And that's like, that's $45 a week. And we tend to build our meal plan, loosely at least, yeah. around what we know is coming in that box. Mm -hmm. We've gotten really good at using vegetables and, and fruits that we wouldn't often cook with otherwise, but they're seasonal and they're local. You know? Here's a great one that you just introduced. Two fruit bowls. One fruit bowl is the eat now fruit bowl, as in if you want a piece of fruit, you've Eat got to prioritise this bowl over the other one. Fruit's going to deteriorate in different, you know, times. Yeah. So you just sort of, the heart of av avocados go on this one, the real soft one, you know, like, and, yeah. and the bananas as well. Like often the, the stuff just gets buried, like the, the work. <laughs> and then you find like a fuzzy fuzzy thing the down the bottom. It's yeah. gross. Uh, yeah, and I have I have utilized that idea of like use this stuff up first mm. as much as possible, and I'll know that if there's a couple of bananas there and the kids don't eat them and they get beyond what would be pleasant to eat fresh, mm. I know that I just cut them up, stick them in the freezer, and I can use them for the banana bread next time. And I think it just keeps it front and center. And to have that system means that you're far more mindful of it. Also, I think we just eat, we're eating more fresh fruit and veggies as a result. Um, so that's helped, obviously, in terms of not only food waste and packaging, because it comes package free, um, but also waste in terms of resources that go into getting supermarket fruit and veg from wherever they grow. Yeah, exactly. To the supermarket, yeah. to our house. You know, this this is a, I don't know, 15 kilometer round trip yeah. <laughs> instead. Um, our local butcher, again, we introduced him to the idea of bringing your own containers to buy meat, uh, and that's helped. But one of the biggest shifts and one of the things I am really happy about is that there is a, a bulk food shop in the local area. It's a 20-minute drive or so from where we are, and that's the first time we've ever lived near a bulk food shop, and I love it. Yeah. I go in or you go in once a week, once a fortnight, it depends, and that alone has cut down, I think, on the amount of packaging by 50%, I think. Yeah, easy. You know, and I'm getting better and more streamlined at the way that we do it. But on the whole, that has made an enormous difference. And I'd say from our waste output maybe three or four years ago to now, we've probably reduced it by about 75%. So what do you think of that 25% of waste remaining? Mm-hmm. Do you think we can ever reduce that more of that 25%? Could we halve that 25%? Yeah. I mean, yes, you could. Everything's possible, but it's definitely hard. Like that's yeah. the, the, that's the, the remaining stuff for a reason. Yeah. And it's things like 
you know what? It's mostly stuff that the kids have with their lunches. Mm -hmm. So our kids prefer a wrap. Mm. So that comes in plastic. plastic. Um, Same with cheese, crackers. Beyond that, though, everything else that we put in their lunchbox, we've reduced that. Mm. that kind of plastic use as much as possible. So that stuff is harder. I'm not going to lie. There are 100% ways of getting rid of it. Yeah. But going back to that sustainable level of how much can I do myself? Actually reduce it, yeah. You know, because looking yeah. like going back to your previous question, there's heaps of stuff that we've started to do to further reduce waste. Like I'm preserving fruits and preserving veggies out of the garden and like even if it's just processing and freezing things or I made my first batch of marmalade a couple of months ago. Um, like we're doing a lot of things that have reduced um, our packaging, but it's that last sort of 25% that I'm finding difficult. So what are you going to prioritize for the next 12 months? It's a good question. I think what I can do with that 25% and what I have been doing since we've moved is, and this is something anyone listening can do if you haven't already, get online and just take a quick look at what your local government area, what your local council curbside recycling allows you to recycle because everyone is different. And knowing, I was really surprised by some of the things that I could actually recycle. Of course, recycling is by no means the best solution. The best solution is to not have anything to recycle in the first place. But if you are left with things that can potentially be recycled, just look, see what there is for perhaps slightly more random things or slightly more specific things that need to be recycled, see what other uh, opportunities are in your local area. So I know a lot of local supermarkets have a bin where you can drop off um, plastic bags, some like scrunchable plastic uh, packaging, that sort of stuff, that it's really easy to keep a bag under the sink and pop anything that can be recycled in there and once a month or once every six months or whenever that bag fills up, you can take it off for recycling. I also think, though, we've spent a huge amount of this conversation talking about kitchen waste, Mm. and that's really important. But there are heaps of other ways to reduce waste in your home and to, if you're looking at it maybe in a more broad um, sense, to reduce your carbon footprint, you know, to look at your carbon footprint for your home Mm. every once a year. And we did this last year and we'll do it at the end of this financial year. You use an online calculator, and there's several that you can use that will add up your carbon footprint, including all um, travel and your electricity usage and all that kind of stuff. And it gives you a number. It might be, you know, 20 ton, 30 ton, something like that of carbon Mm. emissions from your household for the year. And then you can look at ways of offsetting that, which essentially makes your household carbon neutral. neutral. It's not perfect. And of course, Mm. we should all be looking at reducing that carbon footprint in many ways. But you could look at doing that and at least offsetting. Yeah. Yeah. So many people should be doing this I mean, that can do it. Look, and yeah, exactly. And, and I you think, should have a little badge that goes on your letterbox that says <laughs> this is a carbon neutral household. But then I think that stops people from wanting to do better. No, you know? it, it's, a, it's a, like a carrot that people would Maybe. strive. Some people, I'm not going to say everyone, but some people would want to work towards that. Yeah. I mean, look, and the other thing, the other part of this whole conversation is I completely understand there is privilege attached to a lot of the low waste living efforts that are around at the moment. Mm. Like there is a whole Instagram worthy, beautiful stainless steel reusables, um, cane woven basket kind of aesthetic to sustainable living which is great because if it appeals to people and gets people in and gets people thinking about reducing their waste and reducing the impact that they're having on the world, fine. But we also need to acknowledge 
And particularly if you're listening to some of these suggestions either here or elsewhere and saying, I don't, I don't have access to that either because I don't live near any mm. of these mm. services or I don't have the finances to go out and buy these reusable things or, you know, to update the power company that I'm with or whatever it may be. Um, that's completely understandable and fine. And I don't think anyone should be made to feel bad about not being able to, to participate in uh, some of those absolutely things. Absolutely not. And, and that's very important. But I just think it's an extension of what's happening in that governments have had a chance to go carbon neutral or introduce carbon tax or be carbon aware. Mm-hmm. Our particular country has, hasn't has gone down that path. Mm-hmm. A lot of businesses now are, are going carbon neutral and are doing a lot in that regard. And it's just going to filter down into like individuals and households. Totally. So I I know what you're saying. If you can, this, as far as I can see it for us, Mm. a lot of these changes we can make, we're in a fortunate position that we can. So we do, you know, and that will eventually over time make things more accessible to people. It will drive down prices for some of these services. It will broaden the scope of some of these services so that they do become more accessible. Um, You know, and I think that offsetting your carbon footprint is another one of those things that if you can definitely look into it but i mean to reduce that carbon footprint things like just using less electricity Mm. making sure you're turning off lights making sure you're not charging devices beyond when they need to be charged um sticking an empty bucket in your shower and capturing that cold water before the hot water comes in and using that to water your veggies there are small changes that each of us can make that will make a difference. I mean, you and I are looking at installing a, a grey water, system. a grey water system yeah. um, over the coming year because it blows my mind that even though yes, we have just had a lot of rain, Australia is, is a country that often experiences severe droughts, severe droughts and water shortages. It blows my mind that we are watering our garden with drinking water. It's nuts. It is nuts. You know, just as a system on the whole, like not just us, everyone. So we're looking at you know installing a system that will help us to recycle our grey water and use it to water the gardens. We that do have kind of water stuff. tanks that we do. Oh, use. we do. Yeah. yeah, of course. But, yeah. you know, thinking about what the next step is and the next step and the next mm, step. Absolutely. I think thinking circular as well, like grey water is a good example. Just thinking about the life cycle of everything, electricity, energy, you know, water, yeah, waste. Well, the other thing we're saving up for at the moment is solar panels. Solar. And a battery. So I'm yeah. excited that we'll be able to to have something like that installed. An electric car, all that. Man, yeah, that's going to organize. We're just going to we're just going to do it. Um, so, I think so. Going back to your yeah. your your circular mm. comment, that's a really important thing to keep in mind with everything. We spoke a lot about kitchen and food waste, but kind of tying into last week's conversation around clothing and furniture, you think about that life cycle from the very beginning where the material was farmed or where it was produced, what the factory was like, all the way through to how, uh, how how long you'll be able to use it for. What's its lifespan like? Can it be repaired? And when it's finished with its original use, can it be repurposed? Can it be upcycled? Can it be recycled? Can it go back into the earth via compost and, and begin the, the, the circle again? I think if you could challenge yourself to start thinking more in a circular sense, at least asking the question of whether there is an option, whether there is some change you can make that will maybe add another loop to the circle, mm. if not to, to make it a complete circle, just kind of add a little more life to things. That in itself will, will reduce waste. And pair that with 
just the question of what is necessary? You know, really, do I need this? Is this going to make a marked positive difference to my life or is it something that I'm just being told I need? Mm-hmm. You know, and that goes for reusable stuff as well. You don't necessarily need to buy a fancy reusable coffee cup. Sarah Wilson's good to follow for these sorts of things. She has a jar, I think it was like an old Vegemite jar, that she has about 30 rubber bands wrapped around mm. and that's her that's her keep cup. Oh, that's a keep cup. Yeah. So she doesn't have like a, a fancy coffee cup. She mm-hmm. has a jar. You don't need to spend all that money. Yeah. Reuse your peanut butter jars. Mm. Reuse your old plastic takeaway peanut container. La- peanut butter latte. <laughs> Probably a thing somewhere, a peanut butter latte. Yuck. You know, and I think the, the word that at the beginning of this, this episode, it's about reduction. It's not about disappearing altogether. Waste reduction. What can I do to reduce if not completely remove this waste from my life? And, you know, get curious, get playful, uh, experiment. I'm a huge fan of experimentation. You know, what would happen if... I didn't buy anything new this month. What would happen if I tried to avoid plastic for a yeah, week? Yeah, make it a competition. Yeah. Well, we've done that before. You and yeah. I had separate plastic bags of the amount of plastic waste we each created. I won. <laughs> I'd like an independent auditor. Fair enough. But that's a, yeah, that's a really good way to end the first part of this episode. Thanks. Let's, uh, let's introduce our guest for the second part. So you may remember that back in season four, I chatted with the utterly lovely Georgie. So Georgie found herself in a position of overwhelm. She had made a lot of changes in her own home. Actually, this ties in really nicely with this episode <laughs> and not even on purpose. Oh, please. <laughs> she, she had made a lot of positive changes in the way that she, she was living at home and wanted to then start to expand that that idea of improvement and inspiring and encouraging action into maybe a wider circle in in her life, but didn't know how to do that. So we had a really wonderful conversation about the communities that she's part of and and how you can begin to inspire change uh, as a part of that community. And I've got to tell you, this is such an exciting update chat with Georgie because she has made such massive strides uh, in, in the ideas that she brought to to our conversation um, and what she's gone ahead and done is wonderful and to me it just shows you the the power of action imperfect action action when you're not sure action when you're nervous but still doing it it's really exciting so i hope you enjoy hearing what georgie's up to head over to slowyourhome.com slash season five for any show notes enjoy Georgie, hello. So good to talk to you. I'm so glad to be chatting to you too. Hey, I have had so many, so much feedback from your episode, the conversation that you and I had last season. And I think you really hit on something that is is very powerful and also something that resonated with a, a huge number of people listening, which was sort of this this tension, you know, between wanting to constantly to do more because you care. Um, but that often leads us down the like a path of despair. But you partnered that with hope and optimism and creativity. And I, I feel like there was something really powerful that happened in that conversation in kind of pairing those things together. So first, I just want to thank you for having that initial conversation with me. I walked away from it feeling 
um, uplifted and inspired. And I hope you kind of walked away from it feeling similarly. Have you had a chance to listen back? I did. I, I did listen both to the, the section of, of you and I chatting, but also um, of you talking to Sarah. And um, it was really great. I, well, I walked away feeling very inspired and, and very motivated to do things. But then it was also great to listen back over our conversation and then Sarah's conversation with you and it kind of reinvigorated me again. It was like a, an, another little kickstart to keep me keep me um, going, giving me extra motivation. That's awesome. Now, I, I know that, that you and I did a bit and also Sarah and I spoke about this idea, I guess, of not feeling like we need to shoulder all the burden and responsibility as individuals. And I found that to be a really great reminder, you know, because I think sometimes when the news is all bad and we want to fix things, we want to help, we decide that it's all our individual problem. But I love, I loved the way that Sarah firstly brought to mind this idea that, in fact, we cannot, as individuals, fix the system. I actually found that to be quite a, a helpful thing to to bring to the top of my mind. Was there anything that helped or that stuck out to you or that kind of gave you that that pang of recognition? It's interesting that you talk about, um, you know, Sarah talking about not taking all the burden yourself. I also felt like I got from her this idea of community and, and connection and, and that if you look at the problem as an individual, you're, you're going to get swallowed up by despair. But if you're opening up to a community and, tr- you know, trying to think of you amongst a group of people and what your impact is amongst a group of people, it's, it's I think it's a much more helpful way to think of it and you feel like you're one of, of many people trying to help and, you know, you're just one small part of a bigger part that's going to have an impact. It makes perfect sense and I'm so glad that that landed with you. I've been doing a lot of thinking about it myself over the last few months. And I really do think that that's where the power of change happens. I mean, yes, you can have people who are front and center calling for change and, uh, you know, bringing people together, but it's not until you bring people together that, that change actually starts to happen. Globally, yes, that's powerful, but it's just as powerful in our own communities. And for me, that's exciting because that feels accessible to people, you know, providing we're able to look around and see the people in our community and and find like-minded people, that's accessible to everyone. You and I spoke about trying to find perhaps, you know, like-minded people or programs or resources that were already in place in your community. Did you have any, did you have time to, to research that and look into what's happening in your community? I did have um, a bit of a look at, at what's what's going on and I, I really f- still feel like there is like a, a bit of a missing link. I suppose I'm, I'm coming from a point of view of what has really pushed me into this idea of, of trying to have more of an impact is talking to, to young people about how they feel about the world. And I, I still mm. feel like there's not like a program or a space for the people, the young people in my community to be able to to do that. I've just been making like very, very basic steps, like I'm writing to my local um, council and, and trying to like set up a conversation with them about what might be possible. Nothing may come of it, but I, I am fortunate in that the mayor of Adelaide um, used to, be the executive producer of the theatre company that I work for. So I felt like I have like a, a, a good um, story to say, oh, this theatre company that you used to work for, talking to young people has inspired me. It may not happen, but it's a slow process. But I'm like, oh, I, I really feel like there's a space in Adelaide to create a place for young people to come and learn more about sustainability in a really um, optimistic 
um, uplifting way um, for them to feel like they've been given the tools to do whatever it is that that needs to happen to make them feel like the world is going to come good in, in the end. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, I know you said that's sort of just the most basic of steps, but it, it's not. You know, what you're doing is potentially putting into motion something that will have a massive impact on an entire generation in your community. You know, and I, I think that what you did, which is something that we can all do, is to look at the network that you already have in place, the people that you know, the connections that you have. How can I utilize some of those existing relationships to start a conversation. And I think everyone can do that. I mean, everyone would know someone who they can begin that conversation with. It may not be the mayor of a city, but it could be the principal of a school or it could be a teacher. You know, it could be someone who volunteers down at the men's shed. Everyone has that network and maybe that's what community is. It's starting to look at the networks that we have and and, and starting the conversations uh, and I was having a chat with someone during the week who was nervous about about starting a new process for a program that they wanted to set up in the community. And I said, all you need is just to tell yourself, you know, that inner critic, that voice in your head that's telling you you shouldn't do this or, you know, you're not qualified or you don't belong in this position. Tell that voice to be quiet just for five minutes while you send the email, while you make the phone call, after which the momentum takes over, you know, and I think that that's I'll be so curious to see what happens of this conversation because, as you say, it may not unfold in the way that you're um, that you know you initially pitched, but something will come of it. Oh, I hope undoubtedly. So. <laughs> and I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, but even like you talking about it, you having this conversation with me, something will come of it. You know, you're putting that energy out into the into the world, and it's always interesting to me to see what happens when we make our intentions known and to be open enough to see that perhaps the solution or the, the result isn't necessarily what we envisage, but it may come back in, in another form. When I was writing the letter to send to the mayor, you're like, oh, they're never going to read it. You know, oh, the, you know mm-hmm. they're going to just look at it and, you know, go like, oh, whatever, and just put it in a, a, a pile. But I'm like, well, I can only try. What's the worst that's, that's yes. going to happen? They, they don't respond. Well, that doesn't actually have any impact on me. Like the worst case scenario is that nothing nothing happens. Um, I was like, oh, I might as well just, just do it and see if anything comes of it and then, you know, take it from there. Exactly. You know, it's literally a no-lose situation. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, maybe nothing will come of it. Okay, well, that's precisely what's happening exactly. now. So, you know. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, we, we also spoke, you and I, about creating a list of of small actions like sending a letter, like sending emails, like making phone calls. Is there did you did you sit down and make a list of those things? Is that where that initial idea that, for a yeah, letter came exactly from? That's exactly right. And I've also um, you know, looked up other leaders in my community, you know, my you know, like local MP, that kind of thing, and just wrote to them and again haven't heard back from anyone. But I'm like, well, again, you know, again, like it's no it's no sweat off my back. We we talked as well about where your money's going and and you know, I was looking into um carbonate and um in the 2040 documentary they talked about um my desire to educate young people so um I just also love the story of Malala just being one person and being one one young person and having such a strong Mm -hmm. impact around the world and I feel like that is such an inspiring story of just one person having such a big ripple effect and so I've um, started supporting that foundation. I, I um, you know, I'm a um, single mum on one income, so I don't have a huge amount of disposable income to, to give out. But I'm just like, look, it's just like one, you know, um, organisation that I really believe is going to have a, a big impact. Choose where your money's going carefully. 
Exactly. And I think that that, that intention is so powerful, you know. And you, you've thought through the cause that you would like to, to support and the reason for it is so aligned with what you're doing in your community. I think that that is incredibly powerful. Um, and also I think that, that sometimes that can be the, the first solution we come up with. I mean, that does undoubted good, you know, in, in lots of different ways. But what I love is that you've taken the time to work out why you want to support this particular organization and you're pairing it with work in your own community that is in alignment. And I think that's phenomenal. So you and I spoke about about your desire to create like a program or a resource for young people to start to feel like all is not lost. There is still hope to be found. There are still people who care. There are older people who care. And you have sent to me the beginnings of a draft of a book that you're writing. And I am so blown away, Georgie, by what you have done since we've spoken. Do you want to explain a bit about what you're beginning to put together? Uh, sure. So last time we briefly mentioned another podcast, you interviewed um, Katie Patrick and the idea of being optimistic uh, struck a strong chord with me. And I think there's, you know, there's so many bad news stories and it's so easy for a young person to feel overwhelmed with what's going on. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the idea that as one person, we can't really have an impact. So I've started writing uh, a handbook of for want of a better word, maybe, um, for young people called The Optimist's ABC. And the whole idea is to be optimistic about the future through action. The definition of you know optimism at its most pure is having hope for the future. But I feel like you have to be proactive in creating the world mm. that you want to create. So I have started writing sort of a list of 26 different, you know, themes or ideas, uh, steps that um, – young people can do in a sort of an A A to Z sort of format, you know, B is for bring your own, uh, that kind of idea. And, um, and then started writing some of the topics and I really wanted it to be a bit of a balance between like really practical steps, like, you know, bring reusable cups with you and, um, tangible changes in your life as well as, um, intangible ideas that I, I don't know if, young people are maybe exposed to as much. I mean, I'm just taking a, a step in the dark, but may, maybe they are considering these ideas, but, um, you know, about surrounding yourself with kindred spirits, people that have similar ideas to you, even if they're not taking exactly the same actions of you, as you. Um, and the idea of compromise and having to choose between mm-hmm. getting something now and, and fitting in with your peer group, sort of understanding what, what are the principles that I want to live my life by. And it's, it seems to me as I'm writing more and more that so much of it aligns with the idea of slow living and living intentionally. I think it's optimism at its, at its most powerful and beautiful, honestly, the way that you are writing this book. Because as you say, yes, it, optimism is about having hope, you know, for the future. But you've also paired that with the absolute necessity to pair that, that optimism with action. And you're breaking that down in a way that feels accessible to young people. You know, there are so many changes that are either too large or too overwhelming or not within the the power of young people if they're living, you know, with their families that sometimes it can feel there's very few options for them, but you're putting the power back in their hands. And what I love is that you're encouraging people to take responsibility for their own choices. You know, when you in the, the B chapter, B is for bring your own, you 
very specifically say you need to bring your own. This is your responsibility. Find yourself a bag or a backpack that you're happy to tote around and, uh, you know, pack your, your water bottle, pack your reusables and make that your responsibility. Don't treat kids and young people like they're silly because they're not. You know, and the fact if, if they're engaged with this information, they care. And that's what the world needs. I'm genuinely so excited. I mean, some of the topics that you're digging into are really important and things that I just would never have considered as a young person. But you're doing it in a way that that is accessible. You know, like the joy to stuff ratio chapter is awesome. I mean, it's just asking kids to have a much clearer idea of the stuff that we own and the impact that it has, but also the fact that the stuff that we own in and of itself doesn't actually bring us joy and happiness. And I think that you've explained it in such a way that's really going to cut through to some some young people. Oh, thank you very much. Very, very kind. Um, it's interesting you, you're talking about, you know, kids taking their own responsibility. As I've been, been writing it, you know, it's clear obviously kids, um, you know, they don't necessarily have their own income. They, you know, might have to eat the food that's put on the table for them, that kind of thing. <clears throat> I really wanted to... Um, explore the idea of, you know, what your adults, you know, whether it's your parents or other adult figures in your life, what they're doing and knowing that they have control of some things, but what you're able to individually have control of as well. But I also didn't want it to feel like I was dictating anything. You know, this is how you have to do things. Um, You talked about the joy to stuff ratio. I didn't want it to be like, well, you just need to stop buying stuff. I, I tried to present it as an idea of experiments and like try and do this and um, getting people to think about it and then they can kind of choose to what extent they want to implement that uh, in their own life and, and take it further than just the, the experiments. Um, a chapter that I haven't <clears throat> sent to you, the, the first chapter, which is A for Accept Your Mission, I want to explain in that like, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do any of this stuff and it's rather than be like yes I'm going to you know be a sustainable person and this is the rule book of exactly what I need to do it's actually more about explorer and being you know a scientist and doing experiments and investigate and doing research and you know so many young people have such a amazing a sense of curiosity that's basically what we're trying to harness which I love because as you say curiosity is such a superpower of young people and I think that as we get older we lose some of that. We lose some of that playfulness and that, um, you know, I wonder what would happen if. <laughs> I wonder what would happen if I jumped out of the tree. I wonder what would happen if I, you know, I mixed all this stuff together in the kitchen. Like we we lose that because out of, I mean, heaps of reasons, I think. But harness that and encourage it and maybe this generation of kids will grow up retaining some of that curiosity and the wonder and the joy of discovering things because that of course leads to asking questions and asking questions of themselves but also of the the systems that they live in asking questions of the adults around them and and why they choose to do things the way they do and and why they wouldn't try something else. I guess to circle back to the beginning of our conversation that openness is something that as adults we really could learn a lot from our young people and and also empowering them to make their own choices by not saying in order to save the planet you must do this is also freeing them from what a lot of us as adults are struggling with at the moment which is the black and white us versus them kind of division that we see playing out on social media and in mainstream media to a certain extent as well so i think that it's incredibly smart and kind and compassionate to to direct the book that way so 
I mean, how are you feeling? I think you and I started our conversation where you were kind of at a point of not necessarily frustration, but maybe confusion or overwhelm because you had made so many changes in your own life and in your own home. And now it was time to think the next kind of layer out. And that that was obviously, you know, an overwhelming thing for everyone. How are you feeling now? Do you feel like taking action has sort of loosened some of that that tension? I think so. Something that I recognised about myself is that often if I try and do something or something happens and it doesn't quite work out, I'll have, you know, a time of despair and then it's almost like I, I rally myself. I'm like, well, I'm going to, you know, show them wrong or I'm going to do this even better. That kind of motivates me to try again or go to the next level of, of something. And I, I feel like to a certain extent this is like a, a bigger version of that. I felt a lot of overwhelm and despair about how we were sort of passing the buck, I suppose, to to young people Mm. and the overwhelm that they felt about the situation. And I suppose this is my version of of going, all right, well, what can I do to to make this better? Like how can I rally my energy into something more positive? And and that's what I've tried to do. Well, you have motivated and inspired me enormously. (laughs) Truly. No, truly. I'm I'm really I'm really excited to see what comes and um, to see where you take this energy and momentum that you're creating. And I'm really excited for the young people of Adelaide too to have you in their corner. Thank you. Thanks, Brooke. (laughs) Georgie, thanks so much for coming back and and catching us up. It's been amazing and I'm looking forward to the next chapter. Thank you very much. It's so good to talk to you, Brooke. Papa.